G'day listeners, welcome to the Brain Tainment Podcast. My name's Liam O'Donnell and this show will, we hope, truly educate and entertain you with a mission to do a couple of things. First is to blend the world of personal development with pop culture, essentially making the conversation around self-improvement, philosophy, things of that nature, far more sexy and more impactful for the masses. One way we do that is through these conversations on the show with some incredible people from a wide variety of worlds, such as neuroscience, health and fitness, philosophy, business, sports, leadership, and even the entertainment space, which I'm excited for you to hear. The second part of our mission is to raise a million bucks towards brain injury recovery and brain research. More on that and the reasons why on our social channels. In recent years, I've become obsessed with the idea of learning And not only has that had real world benefits like skill acquisition and a far more powerful approach to life, but I've bloody loved the process. I've really enjoyed it. And my hope with this show is to do the same for you, to add real value, help you fall in love with learning again, and have a lot of fun along the way. So for now, please subscribe and enjoy the show. Hello and welcome back, folks, uh, to the podcast. Today, we've got a very exciting episode in store for you. This episode is for any business owners uh, out there or any budding entrepreneurs wanting to get into the business space, maybe start their own business project in the near future. My guest today is extremely qualified and knowledgeable in this space. And I strongly encourage you to stick around for the entire episode. We're going to explore a few different topics when it comes to starting and growing a business. Bruce Frame, who is my guest today, is one of Melbourne's most experienced business coaches, transforming business owners' lives and helping them regain control of their business. He's worked with more than 240 businesses over the past 10 years and has helped business owners achieve the two most sought-after elements, more time and more money. And I'm sure he'll talk about that today. He's professional very passionate about his work and speaking from experience really has a big impact with his clients. So there is no one in Melbourne that I could personally think of more equipped to be having this conversation with me around small business than this man. So with that said, welcome Bruce. Thanks Liam. Great to be here with you this morning. It's good to connect again. We spent some time together about a year ago working on my business. Um, and I, look, mate, we had, I got a lot of value from that. So I was only too excited to get you on today. Before we dive into it all, I touched on on the intro a, a little bit about your experience, but could you tell us a bit more about what it is you do, I guess, who you work with and what your goals are for the business owners that you connect with? Sure. So I work with business owners that are in a in a window in their business experience. So what the business does really don't care. So that doesn't interest me. Typically, they're under five million. So I prefer to work with smaller businesses. Smallest probably turned over about a hundred thousand. I did actually work with a million, a hundred million dollar business some years ago, but not my cup of tea. Don't enjoy it. So that that sort of up to five million is my is my bread and butter. But it's it's really the window of somewhere between three and seven years. It's it's commonly understood that eighty percent of businesses fail in the first five years. But what's not well known is that of those that survive, eighty percent fail in the second five years. So over ten years, only about four percent of businesses survive, and they they fall over. Either very early, they you know in the first couple of years they just they got so many things wrong they just can't make it work, or they burn out and they burn out somewhere in that second five years. And so I think of that three to seven year window. So in three years they've they've got most of their stuff in order. They know what they're doing. They've got a business that works if they work ridiculous hours and don't take any money out of it. And they're in danger of burning out and giving up and 
they're, they're the ones I want to help. So, you know, your question was, what, what do I, what's my primary objective when I'm working with a business owner? To give them time without costing them money. So I want to make sure, as you said, that they end up with more time and the money to enjoy that time. So whether or not they still work in the business, that's entirely up to them. But if they, uh, if they want to be able to get away from it for a period of time, they should be able to. That's what being in business is all about. And when we spoke uh, about my business, when I connected with you the first time, that message came through pretty clearly and you were able to offer some, some great pieces of advice to help move me in that in that direction. And it's funny now being, I guess, sort of a year and a half in only, you can really start to see how it's easy to get stuck. Um, and that three to seven year window that you mentioned, I can really see how uh, it's easy to burn out. Um, and, and I know some of the stuff that we spoke about would be hugely beneficial for, for different business owners out there. Could you tell us a bit more about working in the business versus on the business? That gets talked about a lot and you kind of touched on it there, but could you maybe expand a little bit more on what the differences are and I guess where people get trapped? This is the key. The great piece of advice that everyone has heard, you've got to work on your business, not just in it. It is great advice. It's absolutely true. But in and of itself, it doesn't mean anything because it doesn't tell you what in your business is and what on your business is. And when I asked people about it, what does it mean to work on your business? I get things like, well, you know, bookkeeping. I think, no, that's in your business. Or, or recruitment. No, that's in your business too. So it's sort of people have this strange idea of what is on your business. So I came up with a definition. And my definition goes, if it has to be done more than four times a year, it's probably in your business. If it only has to be done once, ideally only once, or at the most four times a year, it's probably on your business. Now, that's a rule of thumb rather than being a, um, a specific, but it's a very good idea of how you get to be working on your business. You ask yourself the question, am I going to have to do this work again if, and, and within the next three months? If the answer is yes, then it probably should be done by someone else. Now, that doesn't mean you have someone who can do it right now. It could well mean that you need to find a way to get it done by others. And uh, sole traders often come to me with this problem and say, but I'm a one-man show. I've got no one to delegate to. And I always think, no, that's not true. All of us, anyone in business has a team. They have, they have an accountant. They have a bookkeeper. They have a solicitor. Hopefully, they have a business coach. They, they have other people that they work with, that they rely on, personal assistant, perhaps a virtual assistant. You can do that sort of thing offshore. There's lots of ways that you can leverage time. Yeah, it costs money. So you've got to focus on money first, but you make money and then you start spending the money to buy the time back. And when you buy the time back, that allows you to work on your business. That's stuff that has to be done but doesn't have to be done right now. Mm -hmm. And that's why I say it's such an important issue because it is the, the most dangerous thing to do in business, to, to not do the things that have to be done even though they don't have to be done now. So what happens is people get caught up in the day-to-day, -day, the um, what I call the whirlpool in the river. It sucks everything in. It's the operations of the business. It's the work that the business does and the owner gets dragged into it. 
and, and really what the owner should be doing is standing on the bank watching the river and seeing the whirlpool and making allowance for it as their products and service come down the river so they can make money because that's what we're here for. Bruce, that is perfectly said. And for any business owners out there, I know they've just pulled over to really soak that in if they're driving or they're, they're listening at home. They're really, I imagine they're taking notes. That whirlpool you referred to, I think that's very relatable and for anyone that's potentially just getting started in business it's definitely something to be aware of so yeah just on that where do where do people start if someone's listening to this and they can relate to that which i'm, I'm sure they can if they're already in business and they're stuck in that whirlwind what's the best place to start to start getting i guess some order and some systems going um or maybe it is reaching out to people to help them with the, the whirlwind stuff so that they can work on the business. What where's the best place to start? I, I think they really need to look at their time. And I, I know I said money comes first and it does. I mean you've got to make more money so that you can buy your time back. But you've got to start with a little bit of time. And I keep saying to clients, find ninety minutes a week. Ninety minutes. Now that, that could be three thirty minute blocks. It doesn't have to be an hour and a half at a time, but you've got to find 90 minutes a week. Uh, and most of my clients find that 90 minutes around the time they meant uh, work with me, either before or after, or if we're working face-to-face or on the phone, whatever it is, they will, they will arrange that 90 minutes around the time that we work together so that they can start to think outside the square. And once you do that, so if you were to if you were to say, okay, well, I'm, I'm going to make my 90 minutes between 10 and 11.30 every Tuesday morning, then that time becomes sacrosanct. You've got to treat yourself or your business as a customer. So if you had a customer came to you and said, I need you to deliver that product on, on Wednesday morning and I'm going to pay you to do it, you will bust a gut to deliver that product or service at that time, on time and, and, and on quality. And in many ways, your own business is the most important customer you have and you have to treat it like that. So you have to take your 90 minutes and say, right, that 90 minutes belongs to the business. So I will not allow that 90 minutes to be shifted. Now, okay, I have to explain the fire and blood rule. Fire and blood rule basically says if the house is burning down or someone's bleeding, then that takes precedence. But outside of that, everything else comes second. Fire and blood rule always applies. So if you have to, you have to. If you're going to lose your most important customer, if you don't give up that 90 minutes, then you give up that 90 minutes. But it's only to the point where it's under control and then you go back to your 90 minutes and maybe it's only 60 minutes now but that's what you go back to it's the only way so it takes a great deal of discipline i like to think that there are two great pains in business discipline and regret you're going to get one of them the good news is you get to choose which one most people choose discipline most people end up with regret because discipline is long work Regret is hard work. So I would prefer to take the discipline over the regret. Bruce, that's amazing. I think we, I've heard that term or that, that idea of discipline versus the pain of discipline versus the pain of regret. I think it gets used a lot in the health space, but I think it's super important to apply to business. And the fire and blood rule, that's one thing that's stuck out with me over the past year. Mm. That's been really, really helpful. Just on time, 
um, while we're while we're talking about that, you are very disciplined with your time. You practice what you preach. Is that something that is intentional? And I guess what I really want to ask is that something that comes naturally to you? Because there could be people listening that agree with everything you've just said, but perhaps uh, maybe fall behind the. Uh, well, they get stuck in the notion that their personality is uh, they're not they're not good at managing time. So, is that something that's come natural? to you or have you intentionally worked on it with your with your life and business uh, I'm, my answer is it's a bit of both but i but i think i probably fall into the former category more than the latter so it is innate to a degree i'm i'm a i'm a disciplined person i tell everyone i got a system for everything and it's true but i i literally do manage myself and the way I use my time. I don't like the idea that you can manage time unless you're Doctor Who. I don't think you can. So I think that we can only really manage the way we use time. And there's um, there's a great book uh, by an author named Stephen Covey who passed away a few years ago called The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And that that's a really good one. But the one before it, which, which is first things first, I think is even more important. And that's about understanding the, the urgent versus important type problem. And the, the way you manage your approach to time, the, the way you manage yourself and your use of time is to work out what is urgent and what's important and make sure that you are always scheduling what's important and only working on what's urgent until it's no longer urgent and then scheduling it so that it gets done. And so, yeah, you've got to work with diaries and calendars and things like that. The idea of to-do list, people often talk about to-do lists. And, yeah, some people work better with a to-do list. If you're going to, I think you've got to do it the night before. Don't don't think about trying to do it this morning for, for today. It needs to be last night for today. That gives you sort of... 12 hours to let it perpetuate through your through your mind and your body so that it's in your system when you get going the next day. Mm. Pref- my preference is uh, to schedule. I'd, I'd rather make a calendar entry than a to-do list because if it's a calendar entry, then not only does it need to be done, but there's a time when it needs to be done. And so, yeah, that takes a, that takes a particular discipline that I think is innate but it doesn't mean it can't be developed. I agree. Everyone can get better at this. And, uh, you know, maybe you need some advice. Maybe you need people need to talk to someone who does it well and sit down with them and work out how do they do it and then come up with your own model. Because in many ways, all businesses are exactly the same. We all buy things. We all sell things. Some of us add value. Some of us don't. So in the middle, all businesses are the same. But at each end, all businesses are different. At the, at the front end, all businesses are trying to differentiate themselves. So that's at the front end. At the back end, each business owner is different and the way they think is different and the way they apply themselves to their business is different. And so you do have to work out what is my model, but that takes years. It's not something that comes quickly. So I think the... The idea is that you create more money so that you can make some time so that you can think about these things. And, and this thinking about things doesn't sometimes, for particularly for technically minded people, tradies and that type of thing, people who are good at what the business does, whether that's 
plumbing or hairdressing or lawyering or doctoring, it's the same. They're good at what the business does. And people who think that way have a real challenge with uh, spending their time thinking rather than doing. But the thinking part cannot be done by anyone else. So if the owner doesn't do it, it doesn't get done at all. Whereas if the lawyer doesn't get done by the owner, you can employ someone else to do it. You can't employ someone to do the thinking. And so this this use of the time thing, and sort of getting back to your question, the use of the time, how you uh, how you develop the, the, the time management, the self-management of time, takes practice. And it, it's not something that's going to come overnight. You've got to work at it, yep. make some rules, follow your own rules, be prepared to change them, but don't give up. Keep it going. I love that, Bruce. Uh, a lot of value there, a lot of value. Just to change pace a little bit, how important is having a, a clear vision for your business? Could you talk to us a little bit about that? With um, people that I know in business, also clients and uh, and uh, um, even people I've just met in networks and things like that, they, I hear them say, it, it's just, you know, Groundhog Day. I, I just I come in, the business is all right, it's going okay, but, you know, I'm just going through the motions and, you know, everyone's a pain in the butt. They've lost passion for the business. They, their heart's not in it. And if your heart's not in it, it's very hard to keep it going. And so the, the purpose of the vision, the purpose of the where are you going is crucially important because that's what will keep you going when it gets quiet. No, very, very, very true. Very true. Hope people listening are taking note of that. For people that perhaps are in that three to seven window that you mentioned at the start, that maybe are feeling a little bit burnt out, reconnecting to that vision is huge. And for anyone getting started, um, I hope you took note there. It's super important to have that that clear vision. Uh, mate, I reckon a lot of people listening, certainly from my audience anyway, could potentially be solopreneurs. Could you talk to us a little bit about any advice you have for solopreneurs, whether they're just getting started or if they're in business, uh, they could be a tradie, they could be maybe a, you know, they could be running a, a clothing label, uh, could be doing anything in today's world with so many opportunities. Any advice for solopreneurs? Build a team. Yes, the solopreneur thing is, is you know, new, new use of words, uh, and that's fine. So many people, I mean, every business owner who starts out, starts out fundamentally on their own. Right, and, and you know, it, even if you're BHP, right, back when they started that, wherever it was, the first thing that they do is they um, uh, they start to find someone else who can fill their gaps. Now, you know, if you're really good technically, what do you know about sales? What do you know about administration? What do you know about human resources? How do you build that team around you? And the very best way to do it is network. Get out and talk to people. And, you know, there's there's lots of networking opportunities from BNI Business Networking International all the way through to the local chamber of commerce and industry or the local football club. Some years ago, I was working with a, a coach and he'd come to Melbourne and he was trying to get his business going, but he was really struggling. And I said to him, well, what football team do you support? And he said, Hawthorne. And I said, are you a member? And he said, yeah, I'm a member. And I said, do you go to the meetings? And he said, no, I've never been to anything like that. I go to the games. Jeff Kennett was the, was the number one ticket holder in Hawthorne at the time. I don't know if he still is. But I think if you go to those meetings, you meet 
people, and that's how you build a team. Now, just because you're not paying them, just because you're not employing them, does not mean that you don't have a team. In my business, I don't employ anyone, but I have I have two bookkeepers, I have a virtual assistant, I have a lawyer, accountant, a business coach, and I, I have four networking groups that I belong to because that gets me out of my own head, but it also allows me to find people who can fill my gaps. And I think that's the key. Just because you're the only person in your business doesn't mean you're alone. It just means that you're the only person you employ. I love that, Bruce. That could potentially be the greatest takeaway from this conversation. It's been massive for me, and I hope people listening do take note of that. Just on on, uh, on that team, I suppose, if people are in a position to hire staff, whatever that looks like, have you got any advice for how to manage them, whether they are a, potentially could be a virtual assistant, they could be in the day-to-day, any thoughts around how best to, I guess, manage and coach staff in your business? I think that... Um... The, uh, the concept of position descriptions is really bad. I think a position description is what's called uh, an input document. It's, uh, it's a, um, a document that tells people what to do. So if I employ someone and part of their job is to put the garbage out and, uh, and I come in one day and there's garbage all over the floor, then their response is, but I put the bin out. My job is to put the bin out, not to put the garbage in the bin. Whereas if I was to say to them, your job is to make sure the office is neat and tidy at all times, then that's an output statement, not an input statement. So I think in terms of how do you, how do you manage people, be really clear about what you expect them to achieve and then ask them what help they need to get there. Now, I'm assuming here that you're employing people who know what they're doing. I and mean, if you're going to do brain surgery, don't employ plumbers, right? <laughs> so if, if you've got people who have an appropriate skill set, then you bring them in and you make it really clear what you expect them to achieve. And by that, I mean who will do what and by when. So it needs to have those three elements. And, and so you, you make sure that they know exactly what you expect them to achieve. And then you ask them what help they need to get there and you hold them to account. So when they say, well, if you can get me a new computer, then I can have your profit and loss to you seven to 10 working days from the end of every calendar month, which is what I expect them to do. And then on the 11th day, I will sit them down and say, where's my p and And, oh, well, you know, this happened, this happened, this happened. But you said you could have it done. So you've got to hold them to account. Now, I'm not saying you've got to sack them, but you do have to hold them to account. If you don't, then there's a, 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 a business law, I don't know what it's called, but it goes, work expands to fill the available time. So if you allow them time, they will expand the work to fill it and they will appear busy, but they won't be producing what you need. So think outcomes and, and then think, make sure that they know what to do, what you expect, ask them what help they need, hold them to account. What I love about this approach is good people rise to the challenge. 
not so good people decide it's too hard and leave. And I gotta tell you, I'm okay with either of those outcomes because in truth, everyone is leaving. Bruce's first rule of recruitment, everyone's leaving. No one who works for you now is still gonna be working for you in 30 years time. It, it's not a good thing or a bad thing, it's just true. So if it's gonna be sad, let's be sad now and get over it. They will leave at a time that suits them, not at a time that suits you. And at best, they will give you four weeks notice and they owe you no explanation whatsoever. They're not your friends, they are in your employees. They are trading their time, skills and experience for your money. You do not discount your money. You must not allow them to discount their time, skills and experience. That is huge. Thanks, Bruce. I mentioned at the top, you have now over 10 years experience and you've worked with uh, hundreds of business owners. In that time, have you found that business owners can be stuck in their ways? Perhaps they've been in business for a number of years, things aren't going as well as they'd like. Do you find that people get stuck in their ways? And if so, is that detrimental to their to the success of their business? Yes, they do. They absolutely get stuck in their ways. And it's, it's, sorry, it's, it's almost 20 years and almost 350 businesses. So it's, it's, it's a long time I've been doing this now. Your question is absolutely right. They do get stuck in their ways. And I take you back to your question about vision. What's happened is they don't know why they're doing it anymore. They've lost the outcome that they had in mind for the business at the start. I mean, let's face it. If all they want from a business is a regular income, then go and get a job. There is nothing wrong with having a job. My wife and both children are employed. They all have jobs. And I think that's a wonderful thing. There's nothing wrong with owning a job. If you are going to own a business and you're gonna take all the uncertainty, all the heartache, all the challenges that come with owning a business, you have to get the benefits that only a business can provide. And there are, there's three. Right. The big one, first one, is tax. You, you can be more tax effective if you own a business than you can as an employee. But the other two were what, Liam, you said earlier, time and money. If you are not going to get a tax benefit and more time and more money, then you are better off owning a job. So the reason people get stuck is because they don't have a clear idea of why they own their business. So they don't know what to do with the time or money. And, and that's because they're spending all day in the whirlpool. They need to get out of the whirlpool, sit on the bank with a glass of red or a beer or whatever it is that floats your boat and think about where is it all going? Where's this river going? Where's the, what does the future look like? What do I want it to look like? Because I'll tell you right now, in three years time, you are gonna end up somewhere in your business. You can end up there by design or you can end up there by default. So if Liam, you and I decided to go on a holiday together, the first thing we're gonna decide is where are we going? If we don't decide that first, how do we decide what mode of transport to use or what time of year or what to take? You can't decide anything else until you know where you're going. And, and it's really, really important. And that's why they get stuck because they haven't decided where they're going. And there's a risk associated with that. One of the reasons they don't want to do it, same reason that people don't want to write a will. They, they feel if they write a will, somehow it makes it 
more likely that they will die. And I always think, well, you know, get over it. You're going to die. Your business is going to end up somewhere. Let's have a plan to make it get where you want it to go. That's what gets you unstuck. I just have a couple more questions before we wrap, Bruce. And I must say, man, I've, even just myself, I've got tremendous value from connecting with you again. And I hope listeners have scribbled a bunch of notes as well. But just to, to change pace again a little bit, what's really interesting about you, and you might not pick this from our conversation because you've had so much tangible value and, and clearly very disciplined when it comes to business, but you're also a passionate swing dancer, if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> the reason I bring that up is I, I want to know, how do you, I guess, make the time how do you prioritise time to do that? And my main question would be, how important is it to still prioritise hobbies and passions and things of that nature outside of running a business? I, look, I think that is absolutely crucial. Yeah, it's swing dancing for me. I don't, it doesn't matter what it is, but it's a matter of if you don't, if you don't get a, um, something that allows your brain to, uh, to reset then you're really going to struggle in business because business can be all-consuming. Those of us who own businesses know that at one level, we are always working. There's, there's always that level of business going on in the back of your head. Many years ago, I was at a, a barbecue at Christmas and I had a couple of glasses of red and I was having a great day and someone said to me, you're a business coach, aren't you? And i got to tell you, I changed hats so fast you'd faint. And that's what we do. As business owners, we are always in that mindset of, of how do we make it better? How do we how do we keep the business going? And so in order to be able to unwind that from our brains, we need something else. And uh, I don't know if you know anything about swing dancing, but it's led and followed. And I, I lead. And when you're leading dancing like that, I describe it as playing chess with a metronome. So you're, you're always thinking two or three moves ahead, but you are thinking, how do I get there? And what do I have to do now in order to be there? And, and all of this is happening somewhere in your brain and it's happening automatically. But what it means is there's nothing else going on in your brain. So in that time when I'm dancing, nothing else is happening in my brain. It is very cathartic. It is hugely important to me in my life. And so whether it's dancing or collecting stamps or running or whatever it is that works for you. I don't really care, but there has to be something. And um, I'm, I'm sort of going around in a circle here, but the, the, uh, the most important person in your life right now is you. So any of us who've been on, a, on an aeroplane will know that the, the steward uh, will say at some point, if there's a sudden loss of uh, cabin pressure, mask will drop from the roof. Put your own mask on first. Because if you don't and you lose consciousness, you can't help the child sitting next to you. So if you're trying to help the child and as a result you pass out, you're both dead. And that's exactly the same. You must look after yourself first so that you can look after everyone else. So that means, like I said before about your business being most the most important customer you have is your own business. The most important person in your life is you, and you've got to find a way to look after that person. That's why I learned, there's a number of reasons why I learned to dance, but that's one of them. I needed that thing. That's great, Bruce. Um, and it's exactly what I wanted to hear. I think, if I'm not mistaken as well, you, you might even have swing dancer on your business card from memory. Is that right? I do, yeah. 
Uh, I love that. I actually, have two, I actually have two different business cards, and it depends on <laughs> two. But one of them does say dancer, yeah. I love that. Well, mate, the way I look at that is it just seems every time I connect with you, you're very – you have a lot of clarity and you're always very present. So I'd put it down to when you're dancing, you're dancing and you're enjoying it and you're getting everything you just described, which is beneficial for your life, your happiness, and of course, then your business too. But when you're in your business mode, you're in business mode. When you're on this conversation with me, you're here and you're present. I think that allows, if people can master that skill to be present with where they're investing their time, whether it is their business, a passion, time with friends and family, not only do you execute better, but you just enjoy life a lot more. Would you Would you agree? Absolutely. It's um, it's a um, a balance thing. So you know, having having balance in in your life, it can't be all about work. Yeah, there has to be balance. I've got one more one more question before I then ask you. I guess what the ultimate impact is that you want to have with your clients, or, or and I guess the, any final advice you might have for business owners, but. My last question before that would be this. What opportunities do you see from the, the COVID-19 situation currently at this, the time of this uh, this chat? We're in the, the midst of it all and it's disrupted a lot, it's fair to say. What opportunities do you see coming from this for uh, current business owners and I guess potential business owners in the future? They're, I've got what I call three categories of client right at the moment. Uh, some who've had no impact from coronavirus at all. It's just come and gone and it, the nature of their business, their industry is it's not having an impact. Then I've got business owners who are absolutely flat out and it's not necessarily the ones you'd expect. Commercial vehicles and floristry, those two for reasons I don't, un- well I do understand but I won't go into, those two absolutely flat out. Then I've got business owners who are dead in the water and they are, they're somehow related to hospitality events, weddings, that type of thing. Those type of businesses are shut. And so uh, in terms of opportunities, the, the first one, the one that's had no impact, nothing. They're, it's just business as usual. So there's no difference for them. Not true, true change only occurs in a crisis. COVID-19 is a crisis. Sometimes, from in my line of work, sometimes I've got to create a crisis in order to get something better for a client. But in fact, this crisis has been thrust upon us. We've got to take advantage of it. So if you're one of those business owners who are absolutely flat out, what COVID-19 has done is it's forced you to get your systems right. It's forced you to make systems and structures so that it continues to deliver on product or service in such a way that your customers are happy. If you are dead in the water, if your business is fundamentally shut, then you've got two options, I think two options. One is to spend the time reinvigorating yourself. So that that could be paint the building or redo the layout or it's an internal thing. The other side of that is to think, how do we diversify? What else can our business do? What can we do with our current skill set and ideally with our current structure and facilities that supplies another industry that is not so dramatically affected by COVID-19. And the, COVID-19 is a is a shot across the bows. It's a warning. There's going to be more of this sort of thing. We are going to get much better at handling it, and that's really exciting for all of us. So I think that um, COVID-19, if, you're, if you are 
dramatically affected at either end presents a fabulous opportunity. The ones that I worry about are the ones in the middle where it's not really affecting them because there's no crisis and it means they won't do anything different. So I think you've got to look at COVID-19 or any sort of crisis and say, how do I take advantage of this? I agree. And to that point, Bruce, uh, for, I, I have a travel agency, which understandably is, had a, has been pretty dramatically impacted. But the silver lining, funnily enough, um, to your point about systems and, and using that time wisely, the silver lining has been being able to take the time to reevaluate what's working, what's not, and to put things in place so that when we can bounce back, which we will, it'll be a far more efficient process. So there really has been a, a silver lining. So I hope people listening can uh, can see that. Mate, just finally, because I know we, we'll have to wrap pretty soon. What is the the impact that you want to you want to have with clients or, or potentially anyone listening right now? Is there something that you could leave us with that you think is, I guess, the most valuable piece of advice to consider? Okay, so uh, some years ago I wrote a book. And uh, it's called So How's Business? But it's subtitled, Why Doesn't My Business Give Me the Lifestyle That I Want? And on the back, it answers that question. It says, because you're doing the wrong job. And that is absolutely true. Not a lot of value on its own, a bit like you've got to work on your business, not in it. But, uh, of course, that's why you got to read the book, because that's that tells the story of what is the wrong job what is the right job, and how do you transition from one to the other? That's what's really important. Understanding, because as I said, most of us who own businesses are good at what the business does. I call us technicians. So don't don't think necessarily of a technician as a mechanical person. It's all sorts of businesses. But any business owner who is really good at what the business does is in real danger. And the danger is that they will spend all of their time doing technical work. And while the technical work needs to be done, it doesn't necessarily need to be done by the owner. And so the owner's job is to find people to do that technical work, create the cash flow so that they can pay them, of course, but then allow them to get out of that and think about how do they make their business work. So what I want to do for my clients, the thing, the outcome I'm trying to achieve for my clients is to give them a lifestyle that is better than they could create as an employee. So there's a, another book, uh, Robert Kiyosaki, The Cash Flow, Cash Flow Quadrant, and he talks about four different ways to make money. You can make money as an employee, get paid for your time. You can make money self-employed. You can make money as a business owner and you can make money as an investor. And all four are valid. All four are sensible, reasonable and valid. The problem is the first two are time poor because you are selling your time for money. So as an employee, even if you're the chairman of BHP and you're paid $5 million a year, if you're paid that much money, they own your time. And you will spend your every waking breath generating wealth for someone else. And so what I want to do is I want to help business owners generate the cash flow that allows them to employ people and manage those people well to produce the time so that they end up with both time and money and then they can have the lifestyle that they want. I love that, Bruce. I think some of what you shared today 
will certainly help people move in that direction. I must say, mate, it's been it's been a real pleasure connecting with you again. You've added tremendous value, even just for myself, but I hope some listeners have, have taken value as well. Before I let you go, where can people find you? Where can they connect with you if they want to learn more about Bruce Frame and potentially bring you on to help them in their business journey? The best way is through the, through the website, bruceframe.com.au. Uh, if you just Google Bruce Frame, I'm all over the social media scene and the internet. So you'll find me there. Contact details are there and I'd love to talk to you.